From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. A 22-year-old man used his concealed handgun to stop a mass murderer who opened fire at a food court in a Greenwood, Indiana mall. He did it in about 15 seconds, and his name is Elijah Dickon. While the media generally has nothing good to say about gun owners, they are reporting him as a hero. But how hard is it for an average person to stop a mass murderer? Do you have to be Superman? What is the news media getting wrong about this story? And why are some people saying such hateful things about this good Samaritan? That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Morse, author of the Slow Facts blog and co-host of the Polite Society podcast. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Dean, thank you for inviting me back. How are things down on the Gulf? Are you doing any rowing these days? Um, I've been on the bayous. It's a little hot and sticky. If you're going to go outside, you'd best plan to do it early. So what kind of rowing do you do? I mean, I'm, I like to kayak, but that's not what you're doing, right? You're doing, what, what do you call it? Are you like a long boat kind of rowing, like speed no, rowing? No, no, no. I do exactly the same view. Uh, open top kayak. Oh, okay. I thought you were like into the, like the speed rowing thing. We had one of those really long, thin kind of boats and you're going really fast and, and being all impressive and all that. No, I'm just trying to get out there and frighten the alligators so that I keep <laughs> Where Where do you do that? Uh, there are bayous all through town. You can't hardly drive in any direction without quickly crossing a body of water. So you're just like out exploring, just all the little nooks and crannies? Uh, there are bayous right through town that I, if I don't want to go very far, if I'm willing to drive outside of town, I can jump into a slough and be gone for days. So what's a, what's a slough? Is that your, is that your uh, a, a boat? drainage canal. Oh. Louisiana is so flat that if you don't dig a ditch, you'll be standing in water. Okay. Well, you know what they say, you know, people were never actually meant to live down there. I, <laughs> you know, and in, and in Florida and in Washington, D.C., I mean, some places are just swampy, and you're not supposed to be living there, Rob. I'm so, 80 miles from, no, I'm 40 miles from the coast. I'm 20 feet above ground. That's flatter than a pool table. 20, 20 feet. So your elevation is 20 feet above sea level. Above sea level, right. Wow, so, you, so not much of a surge. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, if if we get a strong wind from the south, it blows enough water up the river that people worry about floods. So when the comet strikes and the <laughs> thousand foot wave comes your way, you're you're just done, right? I'm just yeah. Okay. That's why I have the boat. All right. Well, I think uh, where we are. I mean, I'm in Ohio, so I think the elevation is. I'd have to look it up. What eight hundred feet sure. or something like that? It's not huge, but there's you know there's a lot of a lot of higher elevations between me and giant bodies of water. So I'm, I hope I'm a little more prepared for the comet. Um, something 
almost as earth-shattering after the Bruin decision happened. We want to, we want to talk about that. You want to talk about the uh, the mass murderer? Is that who you're talking about, or well, what, the, what's the other? The, what's the, the other attempted mass murderer? The 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 hero defender. Yeah, yeah. This was, uh, and I, and I want to say his name because this is one of those oh, situations, Elijah Dickon, because yeah. we we're always naming the names of the murderers. And we're not naming the names of the hero. And this is mm-hmm. one situation where there actually is a hero out there. And people should know his name and remember it. And Rob, and I'll just give people a little teaser here. I don't want to give too much away. One of our BFA folks here at Buckeye Firearms Association is personal friends with his father. And so we have some inside information, and I'm hoping to have him on the podcast when he is clear, you know, for sure clear, because we've been advising him, you know, shut up, don't talk, don't, don't say anything, make sure that, you know, regardless of what the police are saying right now, you know, you never know what's going to happen, so just cool it for a while. Uh, so, you know, we couldn't possibly have him on the podcast immediately, but I'm hoping eventually to have Elijah Dickon on the podcast in the future so that we can talk to him and get his perspective on what actually happened here. So, Rob, if uh, you just want to describe this incident, I'm sure the people have read about this and, and seen it on TV. It's been widely reported. What actually happened at that mall? I'm going to put us in Elijah's shoes. You're walking down the court, the uh, one of the courtyards at a mall, Fairly good-sized mall. It's about 12 miles south of Indianapolis. You're there with your girlfriend, and you can't believe your ears. Is, it, it, is that what I think it is? And you hear it again, and you hear it again, and you go, oh, my gosh, that's gunfire. I don't know whether he saw the attacker, but he got his girlfriend down behind cover. Smart move number one. He then moves toward the sound of gunfire. Okay, brave, brave act worth noting. There's a column, and rather than stand in the middle of the world and look, he gets behind the column to look. Now he can see the bad guy shooting innocent victims who are in the food court. He braces himself on the column. He starts shooting at the bad guy. He puts 10 shots on the uh, murderer, eight of whom find their target. As the bad guy was getting hit, he tried to go back toward the bathroom. He walked into the bathroom. The murderer walked into the bathrooms. We think that's where he assembled and loaded his rifle. He was essentially retreating the direction he came. He never made it. He collapses. Elijah has been motioning people behind him, get out, escape, run away. His gr- Elijah's girlfriend is a nursing student. She runs forward and begins... Uh, emergency trauma care. Elijah holsters his gun. We don't know if he came and stood on the attacker's weapon. There are a whole bunch of details. We do know that he started shooting when he was 40 yards away. His first shot hit the target. We know that the entire episode, we think, took less than 15 seconds. I'm going to bet when we see the video that it took less than 10 now, I didn't know about his girlfriend being a nurse. I mean, just every time I hear another detail, it's like, how could this be more perfect? How that this unfolded in such a perfect way, you almost never see that. 
I mean, th- this guy, his his shots were extremely accurate. His actions were extremely effective. A- and now I'm I'm learning. His girlfriend was giving medical care. I mean, what an amazing situation. And those people were really lucky that that he was there. But Rob, you know, this is being reported in the media as, you know, what a hero this guy is. And he is. He's a hero. But the story is, wow, how unusual it is for someone to stop a killer like this. I don't think that's the story. I think the story is the media themselves, because we usually don't see the media saying anything good about guns or gun owners or self-defense or any of that. But but here we have even the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, the BBC, a lot of outlets reporting this guy as a hero, maybe begrudgingly, but still reporting it, naming his name, and it's like, wow. I, I, I don't recall seeing this kind of reporting on an incident before. Have you? Well, and here's – that's screaming media bias – John Lott recently reposted a, a list 60 times when a concealed permit holder stopped a mass murderer. And the fact that you don't know them tells us that the media refused to cover it. Okay. Um, they, if it bleeds, it leads because it will rivet our attention. If a good guy stops mass murder, they show it once and usually it's one and done. Yeah, and I was going to say that, you know, I started out in the media, and and I absolutely believe that there is bias in the media, and generally people, what they mean by that is that they have an agenda. I think that that's true, but I think that bias also means that they just have their own view of the world, and, and the process of reporting news, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. I would use this example. Hmm. You know, you don't see stories about someone driving to work and nothing happened, right? That's not a story. But if the guy drives to work and has an accident and 10 people die because there's a pileup, that's reported. If it bleeds, it leads. That's what we as human beings are interested in when things go wrong. So it's understandable that, you know, the bad things get reported and the good things don't. But you do have stories like this where people go out of their way to do something good. And you do have self-defense stories that I think could be reported. And I think a lot of the bias, when I'm saying the word bias, what I'm meaning is, well, and I'm sort of moving on to another article uh, that you wrote on the Slow Facts blog entitled, How Hard Is It to Stop Mass Murder? And you get into this idea of you don't know what you don't know. And I think that a lot of people in the news especially people who work at large media, you know, complexes in in, uh, dense urban areas, they tend to be a certain kind of people. They're not gun owners, right? They're, they're, They're urbanites. And they don't know what they don't know. They don't understand guns. They don't understand people who own guns. They don't understand self defense. They're not going to report on things they don't know because you don't know what you don't know. Am am I, am I on to something there? Just, I think they did a survey of New York and LA news media. They said, we're pretty sure you don't own a pickup truck. A lot of you don't even own a car. Do you know someone who owns a pickup truck? And the media said, no, no, they don't. Yeah. I remember, I I remember a story where people or someone, 
I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I think it might have been uh, someone in the House of Representatives who was talking about how how uh, strange it was to go to some event and seeing a lot of pickup trucks with American flags, as <laughs> if that's something from a Stephen King story. You know, the pickup truck. You know, that, that's how you know how different our views are. I come from the country. I'm right. from West Virginia. You know, I'm I'm used to living in the hills, very low population areas. But when you live in a city, your viewpoint is different. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just different. There's going to be a bias, right, that they're going to see things differently than other people see things. And I like this idea of you don't know what you don't know because how do you report on something that you just don't understand? Well, I think there are ways because there's a world of experience that we share, Dean. Um, people ask me, how how is this possible? That You guys made that story up. It never happens. I mean, how could an ordinary citizen with a handgun stop a dedicated murderer who had a rifle? We need to outlaw all the rifles. Otherwise, we'll always be victims. And I'm going, you haven't shot a gun, have you? Yeah. Because if they'd picked up a gun, they'd figured out anybody can make it go bang. Hitting the target's a little harder. And with a little practice, you can hit something easily uh, uh, eight by 10, eight by 11 piece of paper at 25 yards, pretty much with every shot, but it requires your attention. And then I say, if you'd ever done that, you'd notice that you were blind to everything but the target while you were shooting. The murderer didn't see anything else except the victims that were right in front of him. And that let the defender shoot him, and probably the murderer died, never even know where the shots were coming from. And so maybe that explains why this story is being reported the way it is, because they're looking at Elijah Dickon. I want to make sure that people remember that name. Right. They're reporting him as if he's superhuman. He's a hero, but he's not superhuman. I mean, we've been saying for years that the key to stopping a killer is not that you have to be Superman— but you just have to engage aggressively and immediately. You don't have to be a Navy SEAL, an Army Ranger. You don't have to have, you know, like the more training than everyone else in the world. It's just the, these murderers are generally not expecting any resistance. They choose soft targets. So they have, you know, it's like shooting bunny rabbits in the backyard, right? You want, you want easy targets. So they're looking at Elijah Dickon as if, wow. You know, this guy is Superman with a pistol. How unusual this is. But taking nothing away from him, not because absolutely he deserves all the praise that he's getting. But he's not superhuman. He was just a guy who decided to do the right thing at the right moment. If To, to justify, to explain it with $5 words so I sound like an expert— it's called perceptual dynamics of armed combat. If, if someone's attacking someone else, they have to focus their attention. They cannot simultaneously maintain awareness of everything that's happening around them. That means whenever we're the attacker, we can get attacked from behind. That's just the dynamics of the situation. And you're, you're right, Dean. In, in case after case, if a good guy is there, there's a bang. They look, they go, 
is that really? They hear another one. They go, it is. Those are, that's gunshots. It's not. And we make all kinds of excuses because the last thousand times we were at the mall, there wasn't a shooting. So it takes us a couple bangs before we pick up and go, wow, this is real. And when we're there to stop it, between two and three people die. If we have to wait for the police to stop it, add another 12 victims between 14 and 15. And again, nothing bad about the police. It just takes them time. And this is a battle against time. So, uh, you know, an example comes to mind. We're talking about, you know, you don't know what you don't know. If, if people have no experience with this, they don't understand what you could do with just an ordinary pistol. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, one of the best vacations I ever had. I went with a friend to Yosemite. Now, you know, we were hiking and we, we almost got to the top of uh, Half Dome. We, we wow. actually got rained out, unfortunately, because it started to freeze and we got turned back. It's like a 17-hour hike. Now, that's just hiking. But there's something else at Yosemite. It's called El Capitan. And this is a climber's paradise. It's basically just a sheer, like, 3,000-foot wall of granite. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at that, and my legs turned to jelly, and I'm thinking, there's no way you can climb that. That is not possible. How can somebody even think of doing it when I'm standing here looking at it, and I feel like I have to sit down because my legs are tingly, right? Yes. But the fact is, people do climb it. That The fact that, that I don't know how to climb it or that I can't imagine myself climbing it doesn't mean that other people can't do it. So, you know, I don't know what I don't know. My experience does not describe other people's experience. And so, I, you know, you would think that the media would know this, maybe not in their gut, but in their brain, because if you're reporting widely, you must constantly be reminded that other people do things and know things and experience things that you don't. But for some reason, this doesn't apply when it comes to certain political ideas like the Second Amendment. So it, it's hard for me to judge how much of it's just ignorance and how much of it is agenda. Wow. I, let, let's see if we can tease that apart piece at a time. And I've had people come up to me who, who said, uh, you know, I don't know that I could carry a gun. What if I just wanted to kill somebody? And I go, well, you'd best learn not to act on that impulse. Do you have it very often? Um, I mean, to me, I, if we translate it, it's I'm afraid to drive because I think I'd be overcome with an uncontrollable impulse to swerve into oncoming traffic. If 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 that happens to you, please don't drive. <laughs> but <laughs> and and maybe and maybe see a therapist because if you're if you're therapist. having these urges, please stay off the road and, and see a therapist, or let me know when you're going to drive, <laughs> so that I don't. So, well, we, we, and people project that onto armed citizens. You and I have probably been in the same room with 15,000 other armed individuals. And I recall I was there one time and I look and I go, oh, that's the presidential candidate's son standing right there. I'm armed. The guy next to me is armed. The president's son, I'm pretty sure it was Don Jr., walks up. He wants to talk to the vendor that I'm talking to. I step aside. The guy's an engraver. 
we were talking about engraving. Don's having something, Don Jr.'s having something engraved. Next, off they go. No, no Secret Service sterile cordon. There he is with 15,000 armed individuals. One of the safest places on the world to be. Yeah. Um, and I think Hollywood has done us a huge disservice. People do learn to shoot. They do learn to carry. They can learn to move with a gun and to fight with a gun. They do a very good job when they do. They, they learn to walk toward the sound of gunfire. Dean, you and I have, I'll call it audited, classes where we've seen armed school staff who in rehearsal after rehearsal, they're walking toward the sound of simulated gunfire. And I've been there with them and just watching it go on, my heart's racing. We need to keep an open mind about our, what our neighbors can accomplish. You're absolutely right. And I'm glad you're talking about projection. It just shows that great minds think alike because that's what I w was going to talk about next. You know, this idea of attributing your thoughts and feelings to others. Right. Uh, you know, for, for example, if, you know, if you're someone who frequently lies, you may think that other people lie all the time too. If you cheat in your marriage you might assume that other people are unfaithful too, but what you're doing is you're taking what's inside your brain and you're assuming that it's in, inside other people's brains. So there's, you know, this example of swerving into traffic, there are people who literally believe that if a gun is nearby, there's going to be this urge to shoot someone. Right. And they, if they're thinking it, they assume that we're thinking it and we're not. But, you know, I've, heard people testify at the state house when we're working on a bill and they've they've said exactly that and i thought well you know they're projecting because they're i've heard people say you know that you're just one trigger pull away from being a mass murderer they they will, they will literally say that yeah sure you're law abiding right up until the point until you murder someone and and i have to feel sorry for them because they don't know that they're projecting but also, what is going on in their brain? I mean, that, again, I, I, maybe they, they need therapy if that's what's going on in their head, but it's not what's going on in our head. Our brains are not filled with hateful thoughts where we'd like to kill someone. We just don't know the method yet. No, that's not true. And in fact, armed citizens defend themselves about... 1.6 million times a year legally we have the legal right to use armed defense and we do we kill we're forced to kill about the same number of criminals as the police kill each year it's in the it's between three and four hundred all those other what's isn't there a big gap 400 people got killed we used a gun 1.6 million times. What happened to the rest? Almost all the time, the bad guy goes, whoa, this isn't the grandma I thought I was going to rob tonight. And he turns around and heads the other way. When we do have to press the trigger, we stop shooting as soon as we can. Because when you think about it, that's what we do. That's what we expect our neighbors to do. And again, Dean, maybe I'm guilty of it too. Maybe I'm projecting this reasonable attitude onto my neighbor, and there's some of my neighbors who'd keep pressing the trigger until they ran out of ammunition. I'm, I'm glad they don't have a gun, but that's not what we see happening in public. Well, you know, that's interesting that you say that because I think that a lot of us 
do project onto other people our own reasonableness. I think it's one reason why people don't understand the criminal mind, because most of us will assume, well, that guy breaking into my house, he just wants the TV set, he just wants some jewelry, he just wants some cash. He does. He's not here to hurt me, right? He's not a bad person. He just has an objective. So I really don't have anything to worry about as long as he gets what you know what he wants. That's a dangerous way to think because you're projecting your normal brain onto somebody who may not have a normal brain, and they're, they're not just there for the TV set or the jewelry or the cash. They may be there to hurt you as well because their brain is not wired right. So you have to be very careful about this idea of projection. All of us will do this in some context. I'm glad you said it just that way. We all do do it to different matters of degree. Um, about 70% of the people who commit aggravated assault are intoxicated at the time. Some of them are just drunk. Some of them are druggies who had to uh, get high in order to commit their next crime to get over the fear of uh, being a criminal. What we've also what we've also learned, and you touched on it, two thirds of sexual assaults start with a home invasion. Wow. So yes, I'm so glad that many of us, what, about 40% of households have a gun inside. That explains why. We're not crazy. We want to protect our family. And this is also, I think, when we're talking about those who are anti-gun, you know, the anti-gun activists and these strange ideas they have about us as gun owners, I think there's a related idea here. And it's magical thinking, or, or specifically what's called sympathetic magic. So, you know, we've all seen this, like voodoo doll, right? You stab a voodoo doll to, to try to hurt a real person. Or you sprinkle rain on the ground thinking that that will make it rain. That's called sympathetic magic, or like produces like. I think that a lot of people assume that if you're just nice, it makes other people nice. If you take away the guns, if you somehow erase the violence in certain situations, it erases it everywhere, and everyone will just get along. That's magical thinking because the universe, Rob, does not participate in your psychological fictions. You know, things are the way they are. And I think that if we have any advantage, it's not that we're better people, and I'm talking about we gun owners. It's just that I think that we're a little more willing to engage the universe in reality and not try to to have our ideals, you know, not to try to force a, uh, a square peg into a round hole, in other words. The, the world is what it is. People are what they are, and you have to deal with it. And magical thinking doesn't work. Um, I, do, I think I feel it a little differently, Dean. I think it of, of it as empathy. Gun owners have empathy with the victim. They hear about crime and they go, you know, the guy who was hurt, he sounds a lot like me. That could be me. What should I do so that that isn't me next time? Um, I'll, I'll, we're, cold, we're called cold-hearted. I think we're empathic with the victim. You, you said something interesting, and, and, and it has to do, I think, with a sense of evil. I think the good Samaritan saw himself in the Jew on the side of the road. That could be me. 
What do you think? Yeah, I'm, and I wrote an article, I think this is what you're referring to, about Elisha Dickon, you know, really being a good Samaritan in the true sense of the word. Now, what I was getting at was, you know, I had read, because I was just kind of in awe of all of these articles, saying, wow, look at what this guy did, and, and he's a hero. But then, of course, you know, against my better judgment, I will read comments to some of these stories. So I'm reading this Times story, and there were, I'm just going to read some of these comments. These were just random comments to, to this New York Times story. So, you know, one of them said, you know, police are praising vigilantism. So they're looking at this kid as, you know, he's a vigilante. He, she shoots this guy, right? He's, so somehow he's doing something wrong. Or someone else said both the murderer and the guy who stopped him walked into the mall on Sunday intending to shoot somebody dead if the opportunity presented itself. Well, that's pretty craven, isn't it? That, that the guy, the good guy with the gun and the bad guy with the gun are exactly the same. Or, here's one, everyone is just a law-abiding citizen at the shooting range right up until they let loose on a crowd. Wow. I mean, that, that, that kind of view of the world, and it's just on and on and on. And you were, you were so, right about projecting. Wow. Yeah. So, so you know, I started thinking about when I heard that the mayor of Greenwood, where this mall was, his name was Mark Myers, and he called Elijah Dickon a good Samaritan. Now, I'm sure he just picked that phrase out of out of the air, but I got to thinking about that. I was raised Protestant, so you know, we were always told of this parable from Jesus, which is, if you want to look it up, it's in Luke chapter ten verses 30 through 37, and the parable is about the Good Samaritan. And it's about a Jewish man who is on this way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, you have to understand that that was a very dangerous trip. It was like a very rocky road, sort of a mountainous uh, road going from one place to another. You could easily be waylaid, which happened to this man. He fell prey to a violent robbery, and he was beaten stripped of his clothing, he was half naked along the road. Other people passed by him without providing any assistance, but a Samaritan stopped and actually helped. And, and to understand the, the point of the story, Samaritan and Jews were enemies. You know, right. sort of a tribal thing. They had different religious beliefs. They hated each other. But the other Jewish passers-by did not help. The Samaritan did. And the whole point of the story that Jesus was telling was, look, you got to give it to this guy, to the Samaritan. You may not like him, but he's the one who stopped to help. And the whole story was told in the context of, uh, you know, loving your neighbor and who your neighbor is and, and how you should treat other people regardless of who they are. So I, in my view, I think Elijah Dickon really is a good Samaritan. Look at all the hatred that is still being expressed, even though he did this good thing. I mean, he's being, re you know, reported as a hero, but a lot of people just can't wrap their mind around what a gun owner used a gun and shot somebody, and that's a good thing. That can't possibly be. Um, I, I want to offer you a twisted definition of armed vigilante, and that's simply somebody who prevents anti-gun activists from fundraising this week. <laughs> That's, yeah, that is twisted, Rob. Although I'm not, I'm not surprised that coming from you. 
playing to my <laughs> um, Well, th the truth is out there. We do have alternatives to the mass media. Thank you for your podcast and for trying to present the other side. I, th Dean, you saw it just the other day. There were reviews of the news media. There is some difference whether you're based on your political leanings, how much you trust the mass media. But even Democrats were down in the 30% who thought that the media was telling us the truth. Wow. We don't. We don't trust the mass media. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's bad. Well, and, you know, all of this, Rob, just to bring it back to a concept that most people, because we've been talking about these psychological ideas and parables and whatever, but I've, I'm sure that most of our listeners have heard of the uh, sheepdog idea. Right. And I think that this is a, a classic example of a sheepdog. You know, the sheepdog is there to protect the sheep, but the, the sheep don't like the sheepdog. I mean, how uncouth is this dog barking, burying his teeth, running around, making a lot of noise? Nobody likes that kind of dog, right? But it's the sheepdog who protects the sheep from danger. The sheep don't understand it, but they benefit from it. So Elijah Dickon was a sheepdog on that day. And, and apparently, as you've reported, his girlfriend was as well, rendering medical aid at the same time. So that's just what it is. And this does not make me lose sleep at night, Rob, knowing that a lot of us are sheepdogs or could be sheepdogs. We're never going to be appreciated for that by a lot of people, but it is true nevertheless. I, I think you're right. Um, and we're going to have to live with it. I heard something else from a veteran that I thought really brought this to the fore, Dean. He goes, I hope there's a VFW nearby where Elijah lives, who will reach out to him. Because Elijah now has something in common with many of our veterans who've had to do things they didn't want to do, but things that were very necessary and saved lives. And there are guys in our community, we, we work with them, we drink with them, we see them every day, who've done tough things and gotten over it, had a complete satisfying, normal life. It doesn't have to haunt them forever. They're not the battle-scarred veteran. They just have a heck of a story to tell. Yeah, and I hope he's going to be okay. And again, I'm, I'm hoping that once they're sure that the legal danger is passed, because you never know, someone might come out and decide to sue this guy civilly. You never know how things are going to go, regardless of what the facts are. Right. But I hope that things turn out well for him emotionally, and legally, and that we're going to be able to have him on the podcast to get his point of view, not to romanticize what happened, but to learn from it. Because it is rare to be able to talk to somebody and get their point of view from something like this. Well, you know, a lot of us train, but we, we're never in that situation. It's just like with most police, they carry a gun every day. The majority of police never even draw their gun during their, their service. They could put in 30 years, 35 years, and never have to shoot anybody. Right. So most of us are never going to encounter something like that. I'm really hoping I'll have the opportunity to talk to him and get his point of view. We do have armed defenders who've saved many lives. You're right that they are underrepresented in the news. 
when we look at how the frequency of mass murder and the frequency of stopping mass murder, the media bias is almost a thousandfold, Dean. So have, you can have Elijah on a number of times and you will only begin to set the record straight. Let me just run this by you because I'm curious, just given the way that your, your brain works. If, if you were talking to him, what would you ask? I'd ask him how it felt. Because we want the ordinary person to identify with him. And we come with the same set of emotions. Because I'm sure he didn't have time to think. I'm sure he barely had time to feel but how he felt about it afterwards tells us a lot. Yeah, because you have to, I think if you're normal, even though this, this was a bad guy, a lot of people would say he was an evil guy who, who went into that food court with the rifle and just started killing randomly. You, you got to think, how did he get to that point in his life? What happened to him? Because he was born with a clean slate like everybody else. What happened to him that led him over 20 years to that point? I think a normal person would have to feel a little sorry for him, it, even, even though he did what he did. And you can be very angry about that. But man, what kind of a, a crappy life did he have or what was going on, going on inside his head that led him to that point? Now, I'm not saying that that would, I'm not saying that that would stop you from acting because you have to compartmentalize in life or death situations. But just sitting here, you know, we're in our offices, we're talking, doing a podcast. Uh, I, I have to wonder, how did it get there? There are a thousand paths. We wonder how he was alienated. Some of them, some of these, almost all young men were bullied. One of the things we found out is they want, to be recognized, to feel like they belong in society. They need to have, uh, they need to contribute somehow. And if they can't, then they'll get notoriety some other way. This uh, attacker had recently lost his job. He was about to be evicted, yet somehow he had thousands of dollars for firearms so he'd been making this plan for a while, Dean. Uh, about a, a last year sometime, he tried to blow up his apartment. So things had been coming apart for a while. Yeah, that's, and that's another piece of psychology. People don't snap. And I, I know that people think that uh, the reports in the media make it seem like that's what, what happens. But if you follow these stories out all the way to the end, people don't snap. They develop bad ideas over very long periods of time and their action may come at one particular point, but usually it's years in the making. We find out that they usually plan to die during the event. They enjoy the anticipation of notoriety. There was the parent of a victim, I think it was out of Marjorie Stoneman, Stoneman Douglas High School, who said, we are giving these mass murderers a $100 million publicity campaign and trolling for the next one. 
Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Stop making killers famous. And I wish, I wish the media would just stop saying their names. There is precedent for this, Rob. I believe in fully reporting stories, but we don't always give the names of rape victims, for example. We don't, we're not always outing people in the media in sensitive situations. I think that there is a precedent for not saying the name, showing the name, showing the face, or in any way identifying who the killers are. Because you're right. I think that we are just putting a worm in the water, right, on the hook, you know, baiting the next one to commit their act because they think, wow, look how much attention that guy got. I could probably do that too. I want to amplify your point. We don't report the name of rape victims because when we did, we found out they were much less likely to press charges against their offender. Okay, if we want to stop serial rapes, rapists, we have to be willing to offer the victims anonymity so that they can heal. Makes perfect sense. We also found out that, and we had to invent a term, it didn't exist 50 years ago, it's called celebrity suicide. Our teenagers would kill themselves in unusual ways to appear in the news. And these would cluster. One would happen, then other people in the other disturbed young men and women, again, often men, would say, wow, nobody knows who I am. But if I did something like this, like this other person did, then everyone in town and in the towns around me would know who I was. Well, yeah, we've seen this clustering phenomenon before. I mean, I remember decades ago when I think it was in San Francisco, there would be people who would jump off the San Francisco uh, Bridge, Golden Gate Bridge. Wow. And, you know, one person would do it, it'd get a lot of media attention, and then other people would do it, and you'd have these clusters of suicides. The, the, The media needs to understand that it's not just standing back and reporting on things. They're causing things to happen as well, and they need to be more aware of that. We stopped it by reporting the tragedy, but we didn't put the suicide name and picture in the paper. Yeah. And that's all it took. We could fully inform the electorate so that they make good political decisions. We're just not going to give a $100 million publicity campaign to a murderer. Yeah. Well, Rob, um, I know that we never named those names, but we should remember the name of Elijah Dickon, who is absolutely the hero, the Good Samaritan in this case, and we wish him well. Rob, thanks for being on the podcast. Please tell our listeners where they can read your articles. Well, I'm going to back up. I host the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. So I'm a competitor of yours, Dean. Well, I just do a little 20-minute podcast. I describe where our neighbors defended themselves. I'm also a co-host on the Polite Society podcast. My written material is at my Slowfax blog, slowfax.wordpress.com. From there, the gun articles are picked up at Ammoland, where I also write the weekly Armed Citizen column. Thanks, Rob, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Dean. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. 
Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.